Thank you. Uh, tell you what, let's, uh, let's take a minute and let's just pray. Dear God, I just uh, we just pray this morning that you would really speak with us. God, I pray that uh, we're all coming from different directions. We've all got different things that are on our minds. I pray that we'd be able to just settle our minds and listen to what you would have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, uh, we're, we're finishing up the talk series on attitudes that bring success. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the ones that we've touched on so far that, that Randy's touched on was, the first one was fear of the Lord. And that's, uh, you know, the, just the knowledge that God really is in charge. And that he really, he really does care and he, he's created boundaries in life. And that if you stay within those boundaries, there's a lot of good things that really come along for you because they were there to really provide and protect, uh, provide and protect for you. And then the second attitude was trust in the Lord. That's kind of the flip side of, of fear of the Lord is when you trust in God is when you choose to stay in his boundaries because you know that over time you won't be ripped off. The outcomes will actually be good. Uh, the third one that he spoke on was humility. And humility, uh, you know, the, the tag verse on that was, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it turns out that the grace that God gives is really crucial to opening the doors for success. And so you really want to be humble. Uh, the, the fourth one was teachability. You know, life, life gets more complicated and more complex as you go along. And the thing with teachability is, you, all of us know that we're not really ready for the things that are coming up in the future. So it drives us to learn now so that when those things get here, we're ready for them and we're the person we need to be to handle them. And so there's, there's a drive to always be in learning because when you stop learning, you stop being ready for what's coming next. And so the teach, teachability and being able to be taught turns out to be a very huge thing if you're going to make it in life. The thing I'm going to talk about today is the fifth in the series, and that's Patience. And basic patience essentially is being steadfast in the midst of opposition, adversity, and difficulty. It's just being steadfast in the midst of opposition, difficulty, and adversity. Uh, you know, we all have, you know, one thing Randy defined uh, the attitudes as, it's an emotional preset for how you approach life. And we all have these ways of approaching life that we've just kind of come up with. On our own. Partly it's the way we're wired. Partly it's the way we grew up. Partly it's the way things have turned out for us. There's these, all these different things that are, uh, vying for us and, uh, and give us our approach in life. Now some of us are more naturally optimistic. Some of us are more naturally pessimistic. Uh, some of us are more naturally tenacious. Some of us are more naturally, more, uh, easily overwhelmed. You know, we all have different places that we're coming from. But what we're talking about is how do we move from where we're at to actually becoming the kind of people that actually operate in these five attitudes. And that's what we're talking about. This is the end of that series that we're talking about that. Now, we're going to, uh, we've, the, there's the, the, the movie that uh, was put together by the folks in the congregation that we've been using in this series. And uh, the other guys got to use the funny clips. But when you're talking about perseverance, you don't get to use the funny clips. So uh, just so you guys know that in advance. Uh, this clip that we're going to watch, it, uh, it's when, when Al, Al has been working and he's been writing a screenplay because he thinks that if he can get this screenplay sold, that'll be the first step on the ladder that takes him off and, and really gets him to where he wants to be in his career and he'll be successful. So he's been working really hard at this, put his heart into it. 
And he's been waiting for the phone call from the agent and uh, the studio. And this is the scene when he gets that call. And, and as he gets this call and as you watch what happens, I'd like you, I'd like you to think through how, how do you normally handle hard things when they hit you? And be thinking about that as you watch this clip. Hello? Al Lincoln? Yes, it is. Thanks for coming in the other day and giving us such uh-huh. a fantastic pitch. Oh, oh, it would be so much fun to play him. Yeah. You're such a funny guy. We love the story. Yeah. Love the characters. And we love the baseball kid. He's perfect uh-huh. for you. Okay. Listen, Al, basically, we loved the Yes. It's fabulous. You knocked it out of the park at the pitch. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, there's a baseball metaphor, so we definitely want to hear back from you when you've got something else. Something else? Yeah, something other than baseball. We all know how it goes. A great idea. It gets in the air. Everybody just breathes it in. People end up pitching the same things at the same time. But you like the show. We love it. No, don't get me wrong. We're still sitting around here talking about it. <laughs> it's just that while you pitch baseball to us, Tina Fey was across town pitching a softball sitcom, and Robin Williams is phoning in from New York with a high school baseball dramedy vehicle for him. Robin Williams? You're in good company. He's set to play a high school senior, though, since he's a higher age range. Okay. So, so maybe next season with a totally different idea. Al, we've got to talk. I mean, let's do lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Nine months from today. Ha, no. I think I have a meeting then. Nine months from tomorrow. <laughs> ha, just kidding. Well, we all know how it goes, baby. We'll talk. In the meantime, best of luck to you. B- bye. You know, uh, how do you handle something like that? You know, it's, it's this is, you've been hoping for this, and then you get hit. Now, I've been there. I'm sure a lot of us have been there in some way or another when things really go south. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I just lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. Oh, you know, patience. Uh, patience is, is what, you know, what, what does it take to start page one of your next screenplay? You know, Patience is like you sit down and you pull out the piece of paper and you start on a brand new idea. That's what patience looks like, is you keep going and you continue to try. Uh, As you watch the rest of this movie, that's what you see that he's doing. He's continuing to try. He's continuing to, uh, he's continuing to do that. Um, Now, what I want to look at right now is just what does patience do for us? What are the things that it does for us? Uh, I like to, the verse we want to look at is Proverbs 14:29 to start off with. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. Now, you know, guys, this last week I, I flew in from uh, I flew in from Arizona uh, back to LA and from Tucson. And if you've ever flown on Southwest, it's it's an experience because the way they do their seating is it's like free for all. You get in line, and then you walk in there, and everybody finds whatever seat they want. If you ever want to know a lot about people. And study people just fly southwest. You get to learn a lot right there. Uh, now, now me, you know, I'm a fairly large guy. So what I do when I go in is I go right to the back and get one of the worst seats and get off to the corner because I figure I didn't try to look small so that, uh, you know, people can actually have a place to sit. Well, as I did that this time, uh, people are filling in. It looks like it's going to be a pretty full flight. And then there's an announcement. Uh, there is, uh, this is going to be a completely full flight. So grab any seat you see. And the last two people to get on the airplane are a married couple with a baby. 
And there's two seats, and one's in the middle, and one's between me and this other really big guy who uh, who uh, was not in a good mood. And <laughs> and so we're uh, we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be good. And uh, anyway, they come down, and the wife naturally takes the one up there. What I didn't understand is why he didn't leave the baby with her. But so he he's bringing the baby, he's bringing the baby, and he's got this backpack on the back with baby bottles and. Uh, diapers hanging out of it. I mean, it's just like, you know, he's he's like Mr. Mom, and his face is red. He is flustered. Maybe they almost missed a plane or something. I don't know, but he's at the end of his rope. You can see it all over his face. And as he walks in, he comes to the back, and he sees us, the two of us. And he, he looks at the steward, and he goes, the only seats between the two big guys? And he turns around and walks to the front of the plane, looking for another seat. And I thought, well, he'll be back, because <laughs> this is the only seat. And so he did. He came back. And when he came back, he, uh, you know, he's, uh, oh, well, all right, guys, how are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the one guy, now the other guy, the, the other big guy, when he got on the plane, he sat down and he goes, I hate this seat. <laughs> and I said, really, what's wrong with the seat? <laughs> and he goes, it's in the back of the airplane. He went, well, there you go. Okay, so he's in a good mood. And this guy comes down here. And he says that, and then the other big guy gets up, stands in the aisle, and he's standing there, and uh, the the guy sits the baby down in his seat, and he's trying to get all the stuff off, and then he tries to say something funny. Now, don't ever try to say something funny when you're mad, because it doesn't work. So I won't tell you what he said, but it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> then, then he, uh, th- thankfully, his wife goes, send the baby up with me. I went, there's a brilliant idea. Okay, so the baby's gone. And so he's going to get in, and he's just totally flustered. And the other big guy standing in the aisle, he has this totally humorless expression on his face, and he said, well, I could lose 40 pounds if you think that would help. (laughs) And I thought, oh, this is going nowhere. And uh, and thankfully, the other guy just kind of ended it, and then he sat down between us, and he sat down, he buckled in, and he leaned forward and put his head in his hands for an hour and ten minutes. And when we landed, boom, he came up. And uh, and I thought, man, I've been there. You guys ever been there? You just kind of just give up. Because, man, things are just, it's just crazy what you've just gone through. And, you know, he obviously had a very bad day. But what patience does is you have, you have understanding of what's going on around you. And you don't display folly like that because you stay with it. And you, uh, you're able to control yourself. Another thing that it does, patience does, is, it helps you endure through strain and adversity. Uh, James 5:10 through 11 says, "Brothers, as an example of the patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have, you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, the way you endure through things is know that." The God who's in charge and the God who loves you is compassionate and merciful, and he's helping you through it. And that's one of the things that really helps you through. Um, it's interesting, uh, on my way to church this morning, uh, my, as I'm driving along, my dash looks like a Christmas tree. It just I had a gauge that went off, and then another gauge that told me that gauge went off, and it just, and it looks like I think my alternator went out on the way to church. So I may be bumming a ride on the way home. Just uh, I thought, now this is ironic. Go in to speak on perseverance, and your car breaks down on the way. But that's something I'm going to figure out when I get out of here. You know, there was a day when that would have totally derailed me. 
uh, with my cars, I've really learned <laughs> how to handle those things. Um, the next thing, you know, the next thing that perseverance really does for you is it helps you push through to complete the things you start and, or the assignments that you have. It helps you push through the, uh, to completion the things that you start. You know, uh, Kate and I, my wife and I, we went to Boston a couple of years ago, and we, re- we really enjoyed it. We really learned a lot about the American Revolution. You know, all that stuff I was supposed to read when I was in high school. Uh, if I had known it was so interesting, I probably would have read it. But I really, we learned a lot about the American Revolution. And we came back, did some reading. And one of the books I read was 1776 uh, by David McCullough, about the first year of the War of Independence. And it was, it was really good. But I tell you, if you didn't know anything about America and you just were reading that book, you'd be flipping the pages going, this ain't going to work. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to end well. They are not ever going to be a nation. Uh, but it, it chronicles how things turn around and how there's this big turning point in, uh, in, in New Jersey, uh, Trenton. But anyway, at the very end, what really struck me at the very end, uh, David McCullough is kind of wrapping up his observations through his study on this year. And he, he basically said that uh, there were a lot of factors. You know, we got help from France at some point, and they, they really helped us uh, end the war. There were a lot of things that did, he says, but really the reason we won was because of the Continental Army and, the, and because they kept fighting and they kept staying in. And then he backed up even further and he said, and really the reason that the Continental Army stayed in is because of the man George Washington. And what he did is the last, the last, one of the last paragraphs, he says, it's just, you, you read it, it says, he was not a gifted orator and he was not a gifted tactician. Uh, he made many, many mistakes and he was indecisive at several points. <laughs> the recipe for success right there. And, uh, thankfully that's not where it is, but he said, but that's just what you see is he's just learning. It says, but experience had always been his teacher and he continued to learn. And, and then it said, but above all, Washington never forgot what was at stake, and he never gave up. And you think, man, you know what? His tenacity and his perseverance and the way that perpetrated through the people he led is the reason we have a nation today. I mean, major blessings and major harvests come out of perseverance. In fact, the next verse is Galatians 6, 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It's so easy to give up. And once you give up, you never know how far away the harvest was. The only way you find the harvest is you stay in it. Great thing about a harvest as well is, you know, if you plant a kernel of corn, you don't get one back. You don't get eight back. You get like thousands back. I mean, the great thing about a harvest is that it's plentiful. And so if you push through in the things that you start, you'll find many, many positive things that come out of that. And uh, it helps you for the next time as you're persevering through things. Now, the question question is, how do you become that kind of person that perseveres? How do you become the kind of person over time that, that is like this? And that, that's a really good question. Um, one thing I noticed as I was studying through this is where you see perseverance mentioned in the Scriptures, you almost always see another word, and that other word is hope. Hope and perseverance go together like peas and carrots, as Forrest Gump would say. Um, but, you know, you've got uh, hope is what drives perseverance. So, but we t- well, the problem is we tend to hope in, the, in all the wrong things. You know, we tend, 
like if you hope in a like the screenplay that Al was, you know, if he had had all of his hope wrapped up in just that screenplay, when that idea died, his perseverance would have just dropped because it was over. Uh, when hope fades, perseverance is right behind it. But, you know, we might, we, for us, it might be a relationship and then it fails in some way, or it could be a business that you're running, or it could be a business deal, or it just could be anything, whatever it is that you would put hope in, and you're persevering because of that hope, you're kind of on a fragile foundation because as soon as that hope goes away, you can't push through anymore because you're just deflated. Um, so we need to have hope in the right thing. Um, Romans 15.4, pop that up there. This is a, for me, this is a really key verse. Because it talks about the ingredients of hope and perseverance, but it has a third ingredient, which I believe is probably the most crucial one. It says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that, perse- so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. When we get into the scriptures on our own and connect with God in a personal way, what he does is he shapes our perspective and we begin to see the world as it really is. And when we see the world as it really is, uh, that we, we get a lot of hope because God is really the one who has has, our, has, has a hold of our hands. Um, you know, I, I did a study a few years ago on just listening in the Bible. What did the Bible say about, what did God say about listening to him? And I was really struck, and I don't have time to go through several of the verses, but I was really struck with the fact that the scriptures, over and over and over again, God says, listen to me. He's, you know, and we're down here. Our natural thing is, God, why don't you ever tell me what I'm supposed to do? And God's going, listen to me. And you're going, how do we not get together? Well, you know, the reason we don't get together is it's, it's the word of God that he uses. It's the main vehicle that God uses to speak with us is his word. And, uh, you know, one thing I always wondered, too, is why are there so many stories in the Old Testament? I mean, it'd be, you could be like, a little, why didn't God just give us a little pamphlet that kind of had the highlights? Instead, it's like story after story after story after story after story. There's all these stories. And I really think, it says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. I think one of the things that God was doing is he wanted to capture people that he was with and so that we could see how their lives turned out. And so it would give us a lot of hope because we know that if we're with him and he's with us, that we'll actually we'll actually wind up and have good outcomes, and we'll actually go somewhere with our lives. Um, you know, one of the biggest mistakes, one of the biggest mistakes that we could make is to just cut that off, you know, cut off that connection between us and God and, and never get into the Scriptures personally. Um, it's kind of it's like my sister and I. We always, uh, you know, we, we like each other, but we begin after a while living vicariously through our mother, because I would talk to my mom, and she'd tell my sister about what was going on with me, and she'd call my mom and hear about me, and, and we just never did talk to each other. But I knew what was going on with her. And then one day, my sister got a job where she got an, inter- an email address, because she never had the Internet. And then we started emailing. And, and we began emailing together quite a bit and really connecting. And all we really needed was just a way to connect. It wasn't that we didn't like each other. We just needed to connect. And really, the Scriptures are the way that we connect with God. Um, now, two keys. To have this, two keys to make sure you continue to have the right perspective and so you can continue to persevere. I think I would boil them down, or at least two of the keys. I would boil this down to you have to know that you're not alone. 
you have to know that you're not alone. And you have to know the one you're with. You have to know the one you're with. Um, you have to know that you're not alone. Uh, Isaiah 41.10. This is a this is a God quote. I love God quotes because it's what he said. You know, I wonder what he said. Well, there it is. He said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, God, it says, you know, I, I will be with you. You know, a really good study would be look at all the people in the scriptures where God said, I will be with you. And then look at how their lives turned out. I think, I think that would be a really good study because over and over again, God says, with Moses at the burning bush, he says, I'll be with you. And with, Jer- uh, with Joshua, when he took over, he said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's the way God encourages people is that he's with them and that they can rest in him. Uh, Psalm 50:15, another God quote, he says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you. And you will honor me. There's really a cycle there. He says, you know, when you get into trouble, when trouble comes, because it will, call upon me and I'll rescue you. And then you'll honor me. This, it's, the cycle is, you know, you, uh, you get into trouble, you pray, and God rescues you. And then you trust him. And you trust him because you've seen how he's really handled the things you, that were concerning you. And as he... As he, hand, as he handled those things that were really concerning you, you begin to believe that he really can handle those things and your trust goes up. And that really honors God. And then the next thing comes along. And this time you go in with a little more hope and a little more trust. And you hit the trouble and you pray and you ask God for help and he rescues you. And he, tell, he gets you through it in whatever way that he does. And you trust him more and you hope in him a little more. And you continue this cycle where hope and trust are growing. And as that grows, perseverance grows. And you begin to be able to push through difficulty because you know the one who holds your hand. Uh, now, this also presupposes one thing you really want to look for is, is there an, look for an area of your life where you've decided you're not going to do what God wants. Or, you know, it could be, you know, to be with God. God is with you, but to be with him. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together unless they have an agreement, unless they've agreed to do so? And... You know, look for an area. Is there an area in your life where the scriptures are saying one thing, but you're saying, nah, I'm not going to go there. What that does, it just puts some separation between you. You begin to feel distant from God when you do that. Uh, it's kind of like the, the old couple driving down the road and the man's driving the car and the woman is over in the passenger seat and they're driving along and they see, they get passed by this car and it's a young couple and the, the girl's like, you know, it looks like one person with two heads. You know, they're like scooch over. She has her arm around him. He can barely drive. You know, he's, he's trying to drive like this because, you know, it got to be close. And, and she goes, oh, you remember when we were like that. <sighs> what? What happened? And the husband's driving the car and he goes, I haven't moved. <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of ways, you know, that's a really good illustration of just us and God. You know, God hasn't moved, too. And he, his heart is towards us. He loves us. He's with us. And he's going the right direction. And we just have to agree with him and get along. And it just brings us right in close to him. Um, then uh, the, the second thing I wanted to just spend a little time on, and that is just you have to know the one you're with. You have to know the one you're with. 
know, God really, what you find is as you get to know God in a personal relationship, as you connect with him personally in the word on a, on a continual basis, what you'll find is you'll find that he's really your father. Um, it's, there's a lot of, lot of descriptions of God in, in those scriptures, but the one that really captures, I think, all of the facets is he's a father. And let's look at uh, Hebrews 12.9. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Now, right, the verse right before this, the writer of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, which is a really key verse that, that I came across when I was we're getting ready to have kids, trying to understand like how I should raise them. Uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 just says, My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, nor loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And one thing that's true about God with us is that he delights in us. He has dreams for us. He hopes that, I mean, he has hopes for us. He, he doesn't want us just to have an okay life. He wants us to have an incredible life. And those are some dreams that he has. And he's going to put us on it. He has us all on a training program to get us there. And he uses hardship to really teach us. Let's go to the next verse, Hebrews 12, 11. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, uh, you'd probably something really wrong with you if you're going through a hard time and you're going, this is awesome. You know, that, that's just, that's wrong. There's some psychotic going on. Uh, but, you know, it's not joyful. It's sorrowful. It's hard. And it feels hard. But what it says is, yet to those who have been trained by it, those who decide they're going to cooperate with God and, and go his way, and when you... You, you figure it out, what is it that God's trying to teach me through this? And then you change that part of your life and you go his way. What you find is that afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And you grow. And then you're ready for something more complicated and more complex. Because he wants you to continue to grow. And to be able to handle the things that he has for you. One of the, uh, you know for me, uh, for me, sometimes when I get up in the morning, it almost feels like, if any of you like to play chess, you know, the object of the game is you get the other king in a place where they can't stay where they're at because they'll get taken by a, a piece, and they can't go anywhere else because they're in the same condition. So it's just, it's over, and you're in checkmate. You know, I wake up a lot of mornings, and I feel like I'm in checkmate. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've got this issue going on, this issue, this issue. I've got several things going on at the same time, and I just feel like, God, um, I don't have a move. And when I spend time with God and I connect with him in his word and I pray, I call upon him in the day of trouble, what I find over and over and over again, I find out that God is in charge of all the pieces on the board and he moves a piece. He either shows me a move I didn't know I had or he gives me a new move by moving a piece and I have a move for that day. And then the next morning I wake up and I feel like I'm in checkmate. <laughs> Go, God, I need help. And then... He, he moves a piece and he continues to, uh, to help me through the difficulties I'm facing that day at a time. And for me, that, that's just something that I really, I couldn't make it through life if I didn't have that. Now, I've tried, just so you know. That's how I know I can't do it. Uh, that's not conjecture on my part. I've tried not to do it. And whenever I've disconnected myself from him and his word, within three or four days, I know, goodness sakes, this, ain't, this is not going to do it. 
So, as I wrap up this talk, um, really some next steps that you could take is, if you've never done so, I would really seriously consider begin meeting with God regularly in His Word and really getting to know Him with the express purpose of letting them know, God, I'd like to get to know you. I want to get to know you. And memorize, as, as, as you're connecting with Him, memorize key things that He's teaching you. Memorize key things that you think He's teaching you. Because what, what happens when you do that is there's a, what it does is it shows God that you're really paying attention. And it shows God that you're really serious about following Him and you're serious about learning. And there's a, there's a great verse, uh, first, uh, Second Chronicles 16.9, where it says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. You know, God is looking for people that really want to follow Him and listen and learn. And when they do, He strongly supports them. It's like there's a little radar screen and someone goes, God, I'm going to memorize this because I really want to follow you. There's a beat that comes up and He goes, All right, zoom in. Okay, we're strongly supporting Underwood today. You know, uh, Underwood really seems like he's really wanting to, uh, to learn and grow. We're going to support him in that. And what you find is God's involvement and his grace in your life gets you through things that you normally couldn't handle. So it's really, I strongly would, would urge you to, to uh, continue or to start, start that. Now, as I, the last thing that I, I'd like to do on the talk is just, just simply, uh, read three verses from uh, Hebrews 12. And I just want those to be the, the last words that we hear today in this talk. This is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Dear God, um, we know that no matter how hard the things are we've, we've faced, we've not faced what you faced. And God, we know also the tremendous blessing that came out of that, that terrible endurance trial that you had at the cross. But God, I just pray that as we connect with you, that we would know that you know what it feels like. You know what it feels like to struggle and suffer, and you know what it feels like to be us. God, thank you for your mercy and your compassion, and I pray you draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.